All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Psalm 119. I'm going to move on a little bit to uh, the second section. Remember that this is a uh, acrostic, is that the right word? Every section starts with the letter of the alphabet, and this is the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Baith, Aleph, Baith, Gimel, Daleth, on and on and on. So if you uh, want to learn your Hebrew alphabet, uh, just uh, it's right here in front of us. Keep reading Psalm 119, and you'll see that laid out for us. So if you are able, would you stand with me as we dig into the Word of God? Heavenly Father, we ask your hand upon us that we would uh, just be filled with your word, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and give us understanding so that we might see with spiritual eyes what your word has for us, that it might not just be knowledge to us, but it might dwell within us and shape and form all that we do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 119, verse 9, and we'll go 9 to 16. That is uh, the second section. How can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by keeping it according to thy word. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches." I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. I shall delight in thy statutes. I shall not forget thy word. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. The purity of our lives is measured and determined by our conformity to this, to the word of God. The author says that the path for purity of a young man, and that's really the question here. So, so we don't know, is this the, the psalmist? Is this the author's life he's talking about? Does he have somebody in mind? Is he looking back? Is he looking ahead for his children? It's not laid out for us. But the path of purity for a young man is conformity to the word. And the word is not simply said the word. But it is your word. Look at it as we go through here uh, again and again. By keeping it according to your word. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Um, Your word I have treasured in my heart that I will not sin against you. Uh, Teach me your statutes, the ordinances of your mouth, your testimonies. It's yours, 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 and it's the Lord that he's referring to here. So there's no doubt in the psalmist's mind that the words that he is referring to about the word of God, which would be the... Uh, the law and the prophets at, at, at the time that he is uh, writing this come from God. We have an emphasis in this psalm once again on the word of God. And remember, I, I think uh, off the top of my head, it's every verse but four mentions the word of God. Out of 176 verses, 172 of them mention the word of God. Just in case we get lost in what's important in this psalm, it is the word of God. That is the emphasis. Now, the psalmist is laying out the reasons why he is so particular about knowing the Word of God, why it is so important. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Verse 11, thy word I have treasured in my heart. For what purpose? That I might not sin against you. 
Okay? So sin is immediately seen as a hedge, uh, or the word of God is immediately seen as a hedge against sin. And it can't be, I just walk around with it in my pocket. You know, you get the, the small uh, Bible, the New Testament and Psalms that fits in, in guys' shirt pockets. It's not just because I've got it here in my pocket, but I have stored it up where? In my head and in my heart. Okay, I know what it says and it lives within me. And we'll, we'll unpack what it means to live here in just a moment. So we store it up there so we won't sin against God. Knowing God's word, have it stored in our hearts, secured in our minds, is a hedge against sin. When we say hedge against sin, um, if you've ever tried to hack your way through a hedge in your yard or a hedge row or something like that, you know it's hard to get through, and that's what it is. It protects us. It's built around us. It helps to ward off sin. That's what the word of God in our hearts and our mind does. So the, the author starts off with an address to a young man in particular. Now, why a young man? Um, now, ladies, you can observe this little section from afar and look at it and see if it's appropriate because all of us men know it is appropriate. Okay, This is William Plummer who wrote about 150 years ago. He's addressing why it's addressed to young men in particular. The young men's case is full of interests. By birth's sin, their way is already defiled, and they are inexperienced, self-confident, rash, and inconsiderate. Us? The imagination of their hearts is evil, their passions are strong, their principles are weak, their lusts imperious, and their self-knowledge very imperfect. Until they are taught from heaven, they are void of wisdom, their will is stubborn, and they lack restraint. You can't be describing us. It's, it's perfect, isn't it, man? Yeah, we understand this. God's word is the only antidote by which we can protect ourselves against the corruption of our nature. One wrong step in youth is very apt to lead to another and yet another until it comes from ruin. Just think about it back in your life, men. Um, what, where was the point in your life where if it would have turned out this way, you you know, you might be over in limestone prison right now, but it went this way. Or you, you, your life may have been just simply very, very different if it hadn't gone this way. And, and maybe somebody intervened in your life. Or when did you come to Christ? I mean, I was 15 when I came to Christ, and, and there were plenty of those teenage years left in which I could have made terrible mistakes and errors which would have shaped the rest of my life. It is God's word that is the only thing that protects us, the only antidote, Plummer says, by which we can protect ourselves against the corruption of our nature. Now, ladies, it's the same for you, okay? You may not fit all of these uh, um, uh, examples here, uh, self-confident, rash, inconsiderate, passions are strong, principles are weak, lust imperious, self-knowledge very imperfect, I knew everything when I was a teenager. What else did, was there, right? Uh, no. Okay. It is the word of God which is the antidote. And really what is being addressed here in the psalm and by Plummer in, in what he says there, William Plummer, it's the long theological word of sanctification. It, it is our growth 
in grace. It is our growth in our closeness to Christ. And sanctification does not occur by our innate strength and power or our own resolve or our own efforts. Now, there are all sorts of resolves and efforts, and we have these high aspirations and, and for godliness, and we might desire to live holy lives, but our human resolve and our human efforts are not up to the task of holiness. Okay? They are part of it, but they, are, they cannot be done alone. Look at the second verse here, verse 10. With all my heart I have sought thee. This is, this is great. Lord, I have sought you with all my heart. And you would think, think in your mind, if you're doing something with all your heart and there's no wiggle room here, it's listed. It is all in with this guy. And then the second portion, don't let me wander. Why? What's the, what's the song? I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I love. Okay? That's what we do. We are prone to, but I'm seeking God with my whole heart. But I am what? I'm prone to wander. I'm prone to leave the truth and the God I love. That is the nature of my sinful heart. Okay? So the aspiration is I want to seek you with my whole heart. And then the reality of my sinful heart kicks in and says, but Lord, don't let me wander. Because it is the Lord who will keep us. Okay? Randy will wander. The Lord will come and get us and, and bring us back. Okay? So think of, and let's turn over to Romans 7. Now, now we've referenced this before and we've looked at it, but Romans 7 and Psalm 119 have a lot of similarities here. And Romans chapter 7, starting verse 14, um, this is Paul and his struggle. And this is the struggle of sanctification. And this is the struggle of the life of every believer. And Paul just tells us plainly what he's, he's, he's I says, I'm in a pickle. He says, I don't understand it. Uh, I know what's the truth. Well, why I'm not doing the truth. And how many of us in our lives have said, I know that I should go down this path. But I like this path better. <laughs> and I'm going to go down this path. But what's down that path? Trouble's down that path. I know trouble's down there, but I'll be able to avoid it when I face it, right? No, that's not the way it is. Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage of sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, then I'm agreeing with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Ooh, how many of us have been there? I, I wish I could do better, but I'm just not doing better. I know what to do right. I wish I'd do right, but I'm not doing right. 19, for the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me, I find the prince, and on and on and on, and it ends up with, uh, you know, just this cry to the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm stuck here, who's going to deliver me from this? I'm in this, this quandary, yeah, I hate what I do, and I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't do it. 
I don't have the ability to carry it out. So flip back to Psalm 119. Because there, as I said, there's a lot of similarities between the two here. With all my heart I have sought thee, Lord, don't let me wander. Because I know I'm going to wander. Don't let me get into sin. Because if I'm left to myself, I know I'm going to get into sin. Or if I trust in my own wisdom, I'm going to go into sin. Instead of if I trusting in your word. Charles Simeon, who was one of Spurgeon's favorite, favorite guys, once said, There is much despondency in the human mind, especially in reference to the great work of sanctification. There are many who wish to become holy, but they don't know how. They don't know how. They would mortify sin. They'd get rid of sin in their own lives, but they just can't. They would serve God in the newness of life, but to attempt it appears to them a hopeless task. The people of the world, if exhorted, walk in obedience to God. They do not hesitate, but many who have begun to do this in their own strength have found its insufficiency for such a great work. What he is saying here is that many people try to be good. Many people want to be good, but they start there. And hoping that by being good, the Lord will love me and care for me and save me. Instead of starting with justification, they want to jump over to sanctification. That's why you say, if you ask people, are you going to heaven? They say, well, I hope so. Well, why would you... Would God let you into heaven? Well, I've tried to be good, and in a pinch, I've been better than so-and-so. Okay, Ooh, that's not going to get you there, but that's how many people try, and many people uh, attempt to get there, but you have to be justified first. Okay, You have to come to Christ. What I mean by justified is you have to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth, believe with your heart that He is the Son of God, that He is the only means of salvation in an instant you are justified faith is given to us we profess faith we receive christ in an instant you are justified and you are no longer your own but you belong to our heavenly father and you have salvation given to you by christ the righteousness of christ imputed to you you can't ever lose it it's you are in his hand you are safe forever now comes the lifelong process of growth in Christ, we call it sanctification. And here are the, some of the pitfalls. Uh, Paul is talking about the pitfalls. The psalmist is talking about the pitfalls of this process of sanctification. Some days, we don't even look like what we profess. In other days, we're doing better. Some days we do really good. But sanctification is this um, mixture of the efforts of Randy and the efforts of the Holy Spirit. God is the engine of my sanctification. I'm the one who has to what? Paul says in Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, I am saved. It's not like I'm working out to be saved for, with fear and trembling. I'm working out what it means to live this salvation out in this world, to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, what he is calling me to do, and I'm to do it with fear and trembling. It is God's, the engine in my life, but I've got to do it because I'm faced with choices. Do I go this way or do I go this way? Do I say those things? Do I not say those things? How do I treat my neighbor? Do I get up on a Sunday that it's, um, you know, eight degrees out and snowing? Do I go to worship that day or do I just stay home because my bed, me and Pastor Pillow, uh, are just going to stay there all day, okay? That's, that's what we're faced with, okay? That's what we're faced with. 
So this is what he's telling us. It is difficult here. Uh, He wants us to have this desire for holiness. He wants us to be strong and to live a godly life. He wants us to obey the word of God, to fill our minds and hearts with it. And he wants us to live according to it. But it's hard. Plummer, again, says, Let us cultivate a deep sense of our own dependence upon divine grace, relying solely upon God to keep us from going astray. The more experience that a man and a woman has in the ways of God, the more he understands his own tendency to wander away. The more I know about the Lord, the more I can see when I wander from his word. The more I can see when, when my sin is, is, is before me. I, I know God wants this out of me, but I'm wandering away over here. So filling our minds and our hearts with the word of God is one of the primary means of sanctification. You have to put it into practice, but you've got to know what to practice. You have to have the word of God. It enables, in a sense, God's grace. It's the Holy Spirit working within us, indwelling us, sanctifying us, making us holy along the way. And the means, he's chosen his word to do it. Again, your word in my heart. Teach me your statutes, your testimonies, your precepts. I focus my eyes on your ways again and again and again. Now, how does God use his word in our sanctification? Well, first, as we mentioned before, the the word of God tells us the gospel. That's how we are justified. Uh, we don't get the gospel from anywhere else but his word. Now you say, well, I share the gospel with people and people are getting it from me. Where are you getting it from? You're not making it up on your own. You're getting it from his word. This is the, what the word of God is, the power of God unto salvation. Okay, This is where it comes from. This is what we know. This is the revelation of God. He gives it to us and entrusts it to us. What's Paul say? He entrusts this treasure in these earthen vessels earthen vessel is just a crack a crack pot that's what we are um, a clay pot okay he puts this great treasure of salvation and the power to live these things out in the presence of the holy spirit in the likes of us we don't deserve it but yet he gives it to us he places it within us so God's word teaches us the gospel. It gives us the promises that he has for us, changes us inside out. Uh, you can't live the Christian life unless you have first been given a new heart and be transformed by the gospel. And the Bible is crystal clear okay, on these, this subject in particular. You don't have to be, and, and I can say this, and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the Bible. You don't have to be a great theologian to understand the Bible. You don't have to have incredible education. There is not secret knowledge somewhere stashed in here. The plain things are there for us to understand. I had the Sunday school class knows I had five of them listed earlier. I can only come up with two now. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Do start with those two. And live out the Christian life with those two. Then we can move on to something more difficult. As if the first two weren't tough enough. Okay? But we have been equipped, Paul says in Ephesians, for every good work. We are equipped for those good works that the Lord has prepared beforehand for us to do. Okay? This is not by chance. He has worked these things out. So the word of God also gives us the good and the bad. 
There's not, the, the word of God is not just kind of Pollyanna about everything. Oh, the Christian life will be great. And here are, here are all the great examples of people who were faithful. And all these bad things happened to him, happened to them. But they were just, they never doubted. And they never questioned. That's not what the Bible does. I mean, the Bible gives us the good and the bad and the ugly. Okay? How many of our heroes failed? How many of our heroes failed miserably, but yet they repented and turned to God? God was faithful in the midst of this. How many of them suffered? How many of them uh, went through trials and tribulations, and yet they were shaped and molded by the Lord and came out for his glory and his work? That's us. It's not, the Lord does not expect us to be perfect. He expects us to be obedient. Obedient. Peter, David, Job. I mean, those are just the big ones. The, the, the list goes on and on. And the word shows us that every believer has the ability to live in the same way, to understand the same things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, third one. When the psalmist says the word... And he says it again and again in a variety of ways. Uh, according to thy word, thy commandments, um, thy word, thy statutes, thy ordinances, testimonies, precepts. It all means the same thing. He doesn't have in mind here some subjective um, uh, impression that he gets from the Lord. He's talking about the concrete in our world, black and white things on the page. He's talking about the law. He's talking about the prophets. He is talking about what God has already given to them that they might shape their uh, lives according to it. It's not a warm fuzzy. These are things that are concrete and laid out for us. This is how you shape your life, according to these things. All the words in the Bible, all of these things. Now, today we have the completion of the canon. We have both the Old and the New Testament. And the canon's closed. We're not adding anything else to it. So when it says we are to shape our lives according to the Word, it's right here. Okay? It's right there. Very objective in what it says. Now, how we apply it and live it out kind of changes in, in the culture, kind of changes in the times. But its truth is always the same, and it is here for us. It is his word. And what's to say? Thy word I have treasured, treasured and stored in my heart. Now, let's look at that phrase, in my heart. Whew. What's it mean to have the word of God in our hearts? We say what it might be inside of me. Well, I can, I can read the word. But if I leave it on the table and walk away from it, and it is not treasured or stored in my heart, then it's still on the table. It's like what James talks about, you know, the man who looks at his face in the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. Okay, now last week we, we had a little, a little uh, the homework, and we had to memorize the first three verses. And uh, we, many of us memorized it from different Sources, so it all kinds of sounded jarbled or different translations. But it is memorizing it, it is putting it here, and it is taking it with us. So in a pinch, it's here. I had a buddy back in Pennsylvania, and he said, yeah, I had to do all those sword drills growing up. I had to memorize the catechism growing up, and I was so sick of it. Um, 
He said, as soon as I hit 21, you know, my 21th birthday, I went into a bar and I'm going to get a drink. and I'm just going to get hammered that night. And he said, I'm sitting at the bar and all I can remember is the catechism questions. Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't even order anything. All I was the catechism, because I got up and left. All right? It was there in his heart and, and, and it kept him from sin and what he wanted to do that night. Okay? So I have, it's the word. The words of God cannot be something external to us that are over there. They have to be in here. They are to be kept inside of our hearts. Um, the heart in the Old Testament was the place of both thinking and feeling. Now, in our world today, the, more shaped by the Greek philosophy and Greek thought, we have uh, you know, the mind and the heart, uh, knowledge and feeling. In the Old Testament, is much more everything was here reference to the heart. So you can't just know the word you also have to have it sealed in your heart. It has to be uh, the place that shapes the way you act, shapes the way you, the, your, your demonstration of compassion. Uh, you have to be wise in the way you walk. You have to be compassionate in the way you walk. It is shaped by our knowledge of God's word. So the words of God being treasured in a place where they can be thought of, thought about, where they can be felt, where they can be Put into practice. Put into practice. Now, what's it mean to be treasured? Well, that's pretty straightforward. Treasured means to be valued, but also the word in the Old Testament means to be hidden because they didn't have a bank in in those days. So if you had a treasure, you hid it away. So there's the same thing here. You hold it in your heart. It has to be treasured. It has to be hidden in your heart. Not hidden so nobody sees it. But this is the hidden, so it is kept safe, so that it will be lived out. It will be demonstrated. So hiding the word of God in our heart means both knowing it and living it. It involves structuring our lives around the law and the precepts and the testimonies, the word of God, every day, day in and day out. It is to understand it. It is to remember it. And it is to love it. That's what we are called to do. So we know that when the psalmist says, Thy word I have treasured in my heart, he just doesn't mean the act of valuing what happens in his heart. Oh, you know what? My devotions this morning, I just, I just was reading it, and, and, I, and I just got such, and it's on my standard phrase, I got such a warm fuzzy uh, reading the word, and I, it just moved me. Well, what did it say? I, I really don't remember, but it, I just felt it so good. And that's not enough. It is not enough. We have to know it and feel it. We have to be moved by the word. You cannot live out doctrine. You cannot live out the love that you don't know about. You don't have to understand all of it, but you have to know it. It has to be sealed in our hearts. Sealed in our hearts. Calvin says... John Calvin talks about the necessity of hiding the word of God in our hearts. He says, among scholars, those whose knowledge is confined just to books, if they do not have the book always before them, they readily discover their ignorance in manners. If we do not imbibe the doctrine of God and are not well acquainted with it, Satan will easily surprise and entangle us in his meshes, in his meshes. It's not a word we typically use. What he's saying there is, if you don't know the word of God, somebody's going to come along and say, well, the Bible says, da-da-da-da-da-da. He who helps themselves, um, I don't even know it, because it's not in the Bible. What does it say? 
God helps those who help themselves. Isn't that in the Bible? No, not really. But if you don't know those things, if you're not ready for that, you'll go, yeah, boy, that sounds right. Yeah, and, or, or there's a doctrine that people will take and, and, and corrupt just a little bit. And before you know it, you're down the wrong path because, man, it sounds right. But if you don't know it and have not treasured it in your heart, you can easily be led astray. That's what he's talking about here. For those whose knowledge is only in their head, they have not internalized it, they do not live it out. He says, Our true safeguard then lies not in a slender knowledge of the word or a careless perusal of it, but hiding it deeply in our hearts, deep down. It's not enough to have a copy of Scripture on the shelf Yesterday, um, we were Presbytery, and we were examining candidates. They were transferring in, and always one of the sections in an examination is the Book of Order. It's the most gripping and exciting portion of the exam. I want to tell you that. Um, and and, and I, I was talking to Dan or Lauren, and, and I said, you know, my standard answer is I have the Book of Order on my shelf. Okay, If, I, if something happens, I can go look it up. It's not to be a standard Response: I have the Bible on my shelf. I can go look it up. Ooh, no, no. The, I have the Bible here in my heart. Let me tell you what the Lord says about that. Okay? You may not have everything memorized, but we have to have enough of it internalized and treasured that we can respond to people. And we are ready to give them what? A reason for the hope that lies within and to do it with gentleness and kindness. We must take our Bibles down. We must read them. We must study them. We must meditate upon them, all the while asking the, Lord, the Holy Spirit to inform us, to, to make us wise in the ways of the Lord. Verse 12, teach me your statutes. doesn't mean we all have to have the same pattern of devotion life, but it means we've got to have one. We have to dig into the Word. Because remember, nobody stumbles into holiness. Nobody just falls into godliness. You know what? I, I found it one day. I wasn't looking for it, but I just kind of stumbled into a holy living. That's not the way that it happens. It happens through work. It happens through filling our minds with this. Nobody ever lived a holy life by accident. Okay? We have to desire it. You can't just sleep with it under your pillow because you won't. Osmosis is not sufficient. You must dig in. Feast upon it. It is rich. It will satisfy. We need instruction. We need guidance. We need God's word. So what we're learning from this section and this verse in particular is that one way to keep from sinning is to store up, treasure up, hide the word of God in your heart, treat it as something very precious, And when we understand it that way, it becomes more precious to us than silver or gold. It becomes the longing of our heart, the pursuit of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is rich and and it is here for us. Uh, It is not something that that is hidden. It is not something that it is hard to understand. Your commands to us are plain and simple. And we're called to live them out. Now, it's the application of them that we sometimes have trouble with. Because they call us to to live a life that puts me second. Puts you first. Don't let us wander from the truth. 
because that's what our hearts are prone to do, Lord. But remind us on a regular basis to take time and to fill our minds with your word, to treasure it in our hearts, to find that it is sweeter than anything else this world has to offer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.